Chapter 11, verse 1. Nahash, the Ammonite, marched against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh Gilead said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. So the Ammonites are pressing in. Now the Ammonites were already pressing in back in the book of Judges with Jephthah. Remember, Jephthah drove them away. Now they're coming in, and they're attacking. And Nahash is this great warrior. What's interesting is David's going to actually end up making a treaty with him and becoming friends with him. And so Nahash comes in to attack Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead is right here. Remember Jabesh Gilead was that town that they didn't show up the battle in the book of Judges. So all the Israelites, after they saw the Benjamites were all exterminated, said, hey, we need wives for them. Let's go kill everybody in Jabesh Gilead because they didn't show up for battle. And let's kidnap their virgin daughters and marry off to the Benjamites. That's them. Which means there's a good chance that Saul might actually be related to the Jabesh Gileites. That this is his family, his mother's town, or his grandmother's town. They're afraid, Jabesh Gileites. So they say, let's make a treaty. Don't kill us, and we'll be your slaves. Okay, good deal. Nahash doesn't have to waste a whole bunch of soldiers killing a bunch of people. They don't have to die, but they get to live, but he also gets slaves. Not a biblical good deal, but a Worst case scenario in a horrible, nasty time period in an ancient world. Good scenario. But Nahash, the Ammonite, said to them, The only way I will make a treaty with you is if you let me gouge out each one of your right eyes of everyone and doing so humiliate Israel. It will be really hard for you to rebel against me if you have one eye. This is, this is brutal. This is brutal. The elders of Jabesh Gilead said to him, Leave us alone for seven days so that we can send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. If there is no one who can deliver us, we will come out voluntarily to you. Give us seven days to find a champion, a superhero. And Nahash says, Okay. Now, how often has Israel been saved lately? Not very often. And, I mean, yes, Samuel had some victories, but that's not enough to create a new rumor in Israel for all the surrounding nations. Now, who are they thinking of? Saul. So they informed the So when the messengers went to Gibeah, they went directly to Gibeah. Who lives in Gibeah? Saul. And they informed the people of these matters. All the people wept loudly. Now Saul was walking behind the oxen as he came from the field. And Saul asked, What has happened to the people? Why are they weeping? And they told him about the men of Jabesh. They are going to Saul because, one, he might be a relative, and oh, our relative just also happens to be king. They're also going to him because this is the exact reason they want a king is to defeat the enemy. But who are they not going to? They're not going to God, and they're also not going to Samuel, God's prophet. They're going to the king. They're immediately acting like all the other nations. They're bypassing God. They're bypassing the prophet. And they go to him. What is Saul doing? Plowing the fields. Does a king have enough time to take care of fields? Can you imagine like getting Obama and Trump have been sworn in as president? And then CNN is like, where are they? They're not in the Oval Office. And then they like find them at Kroger, like bagging groceries. Like, you're, you're president. You shouldn't be working at Kroger. You've got a nation to run. Like, this is a 24-7 job. You're supposed to be losing sleep and not being involved in your children's lives, right? I mean, you're a leader of the nation. That's what he's doing. He's out in the fields plowing. He went back to his normal job. He is not wanting to be king. So he asked what's going on. 
The Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon Saul. Ooh, will he do it right this time? And when he heard the words, he became very angry. He took a pair of oxen and cut them up, and he sent pieces of them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, who said, Whoever does not go out after Saul, Sam, and after Samuel, he lumps Samuel into that, Saul and Samuel, or partner, even though he hasn't once consulted Samuel, has he gone to Samuel and asked whether he should do this or not? No, but he immediately put Samuel's approval on it. If you're not with me, you're not with Samuel, you're not with God, even though I've never talked to God yet and asked what I should do. But, Samuel approves of this campaign message. He sent the pieces throughout. How is he motivating the people? Through fear. But interesting, it says the terror of Yahweh also fell on the people. Remember, God didn't really want to use Samson to kill the Philistines with his desire to marry a foreign woman, but that's all he had. So this is all he has, so he uses it. And they went out as one army, and when Saul counted them at Bezik, the Israelites were 300,000 strong. The men of Judah numbered 30,000. There's no way their numbers are that big. Remember, 1,000 should be seen as like regiments. So 300 regiments and 30 regiments. They said to the messengers who had come, here's what you should say to the men of Jabesh Gilead. Tomorrow deliverance will come to you when the sun is fully up, noontime. It's like a good western. When the messengers went and told the men of Jabesh Gilead, they were happy. And the men of Jabesh Gilead said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you can do to us whatever you wish, because our hero will be here. The next day Saul placed the people in three groups, and they went to the Ammonite camp during the morning watch and struck them down until the hottest part of the day, noon, and the survivors scattered. No two of them remained together. Did Saul actually use the Spirit of Yahweh and deliver the people? Yes, he's finally acting like a king. There's still red flags because he never sought God's approval. He never got the prophet. He just stamped Samuel's approval onto it without talking to Samuel. But he was called by God to deliver Israel, and the Spirit of Yahweh did come upon him to give him the power to do it. But he also motivated the people through fear. He's not righteous, and he's not wicked. He's mixed he's a mixed bag he's a human why did he run away in fear with the holy spirit upon him from the philistines but he went out and attacked the ammonites with the spirit of yahweh he had a personal interest he might actually have personal interests and the ammonites are not as technologically scary as you might be the same height as all the Philistines, but you're leading an army of people who are all head shorter. And they don't have the same technology. It's easy to defeat the Ammonites when they're also on equal ground with you in height and technology. They're also outside of your nation. The Philistines are within you. And if you lose a battle with the Ammonites, they might press in on you a little bit. But crossing borders are difficult. If you lose a battle with the Philistines, they're your next-door neighbor. And we will find that whenever it comes to enemies outside of Israel, Saul will actually do a pretty decent job. But whenever it comes to the Philistines, he will never, ever, ever succeed in his entire kingship. Now here's the irony. Did God call him to deliver Israel 
from the foreign enemies outside the land. No. In fact, you're not even allowed to attack these people. Edom, Moab, Ammon, they're off limits. The only time you're ever allowed to fight these people is if they attack you first. And you're only allowed to defend yourself and keep them out of your country. They invaded, he defeated and drove them out. That's all he's allowed to do. You're never allowed to begin an attack, and you're not allowed to go into their territory and keep attacking them. But the Philistines are inside of their nation, and God is giving you every right to eliminate all the enemies within your backyard. And so he will succeed in defeating enemies that he's not really, he's, a, he's, he's okay. God approves of him defending Israel from them, but they're not even really the threat because they're outside the nation. But he will never defeat the threat within his nation. He will be so busy worrying about the next door neighbor's dog that he'll never ever take care of all the horrible critters that are in his own backyard, so to speak. Always so afraid of how those other kids at school are influencing your kids, and you're not really even doing what you're supposed to be doing to take care of your own kids and raising them, right? You know parents like that. If you were just more involved with your kids, you probably wouldn't have to worry about the ones at school as much. This is what he's going to do. But he will never go against the Philistines. And here's what's interesting. That's exactly what God raised him up to do. This is exactly what the Israelites wanted a king for. And not only that, Amnon has never, ever, ever attacked Israel until the very end of Judges and now. Amnon probably would have never attacked if Israel had successfully defeated all the enemies within. Because if you're a foreign empire and you're watching Israel defeat a superior technological force over and over and drive them out, will you have the guts to attack? No. Because remember what Rahab said? We're all scared of you because of what you just did to Sihon and Og and what you did in Egypt. But the minute they lose a battle and AI because they weren't trusting God, all of a sudden the fear of the Canaanites disappear. So this problem only exists because this problem hasn't been dealt with. Yes, he was successful, but it's all misplaced priorities. It's not what God has called him to be. It's not the enemy that God has said that they must defeat all the way back in Genesis 15. And once again, they have their king. He finally leads them, but they're still failing to deal with the real enemy. Has the king changed anything? No. What has changed? With Samuel, they went to Yahweh and said, pray for us. With Saul, they said, we have a hero. That's the difference. It doesn't matter whether you have a prophet, a judge, a priest, a king, a president, a superhero, an avenger, you will never ever successfully defeat the enemy. You will never successfully become the kingdom of God if you're not praying and submitting to the will of Yahweh. And this is the message that the narrator is going to just keep making over and over and over and over again. You can call it whatever you want politically and militarily, theologically, but it really just comes down to not my will, your will be done. And we can't do it, God. Please do it. Does that make sense? We need to keep reminding ourselves of this so we don't keep doing it in our own lives. It's easy. It's so easy in the Bible 
when we read these stories and we're like, yeah, but don't they know God will give them victory over the enemy? Because we read it so many times and so many times and so many times. And, and we, we, can, we condemn them or we ridicule them or we act like they're so... But we really, we, you have to realize we're exactly the same way. Maybe not wars, but we are with like... If we were going into a lawsuit with somebody and this CEO businessman was suing us and he was able to afford, afford the best firm in the country with hundreds of researchers and stuff and all you had was a court-appointed attorney and it was someone who wasn't very good or didn't really care and you would automatically think, there's no way I'm going to win this court case. There's no way this is going to work out for me well. Now, having a good lawyer is important. God bless them and that kind of stuff, but... Does God need a good lawyer if he really wants you to win and take care of you? No. Same thing with doctors. If you can only afford a certain doctor, but there's this amazing doctor across the states, but you can't get to them, you don't have the money for it, you think there's no way I'm going to get cured of this. Even military. One of the things that we think we get so easy to defeat the enemy all the time is America is a superior force. But imagine being in another country and seeing America coming at you. You think there's no way. Except there is because God. Or education. If I don't get my kids in the right school and the right education and, and the right college, that maybe they'll never really get the job or make the money or have the good life that they're supposed to have. But if they can get this, but all we can afford is this one. So they're not going to seem to have the same opportunities. But if God really has a mission for them and a purpose, which he does, and they're really submitting to him and trusting him, they'll be whatever he needs them to be regardless of the education. And we, we do the exact same thing. It's easy to read the Bible and say, don't you get it? Because we've seen so many military victories. But translate that to lawyers and doctors and education and technological advancements and big houses and good cars. And, and we're making the same mistake all the time. In chapter 11, verse 12, it's now time to reconfirm the commitment of the people. This isn't a second inauguration. They're not going to anoint him a king again. This, and they're not going to re-inaugurate him. I mean, they're not going to re-establish him. They're, they're re-establishing the commitment of the people to him. Because there were some people who were just like, really, can he actually do this? But now he's shown that he can with the Ammonites. So now they're going to re-establish the commitment of the people. So verse 11, verse 12. Chapter 11, verse 12. And the people said to Samuel, Why were the, who were the ones asking? Will Saul reign over us? Hand over those men so that we may execute them. But Saul said, No one will be killed on this day, for today Yahweh has given Israel a victory. And Samuel said to the people, Come on, let's go to Gilgad and renew the kingship there. So all the people went to Gilgad there, where they established Saul as king in Yahweh's presence. They offered up peace offerings there in Yahweh's presence, and Saul and all the Israelites were very happy. So those people said, there's no way I'm supporting Saul. The people say, let's go kill them because they, they will resist the Yahweh as king. And Saul says, no. But the question is why? This is a very difficult one. In some ways, there should be a punishment for them because they oppose God's anointed king. And God takes that very seriously. Did they deserve the death penalty? Probably not. But Saul doesn't say why he's not killing them. Is he not killing them because he's deciding to be a very merciful king? Is he not killing them because he's scared to deal with them? The consequences. If you're willing to speak up against a political leader, you probably have political clout yourself. And we don't know why. And the narrator just leaves a big question on Mark on that. 
Was that a good thing for Saul to do? Was that a bad thing? But one thing's for sure, he never consulted Samuel the prophet to figure out what he should have actually done with him. Kind of made the decision on his own. So he's finally done something right, but he's making the decisions on his own without God. And that's not good. Now, remember, this isn't like picking your socks in the morning. It's not like you have to pray about this. I mean, he is a politician king who is running a nation, and people are opposing him in a verbal kind of way. That's something you go to God about. That's something you go to the prophet about. 